Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your weekly podcast where three lifetime friends, rock musicians and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album every week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Avigan. And this is guest uh, talker, Andrew Carter. And today we're going to do something a little different. We thought it would be fun to do a mini episode in which we talk uh, briefly about the recent major KISS concert in Dubai during the pandemic. Well, I think, um, as I said on the morning, I think I posted something on Instagram. This concert started, or the broadcast started at 9 a.m., the preliminaries, and then the actual live show started about quarter to 10 or a little later. And so it was, as I, I think my hashtag for the day was coffee and pyro. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, um, I mean, I'm starved for live music right now. Like, like everybody sitting here is, um, so anything, you know, um, these sort of gigs, at least, you know, I, were few and far between this year. So I was just so happy to be able to wake up and get wired on coffee and like play really, really loud kiss. That was a real live concert. So I had fun. Uh, what details did you notice? There were anything, you know what I mean? Like what stood out to you about the show? Okay, well, I mean, the, um, the set list, I was hoping for some sort of like, you know, major deviation or major a deep cut. And there was, I guess, a couple of minor ones at the very end, but essentially, it was the end of the road set list. And so they kind of stuck to the, you know, the tried and true, which is, which makes sense, because this is they're selling show, they're trying to get everybody to buy the show, they're trying to get casual fans to buy this show, they already know everyone who's going on the kiss cruise has already bought it. So I think they had to cast the wide net here. But for me, the, uh, I mean, the pyro was pretty spectacular, I guess it turned out to be you know, $1.75 million on all of that. Um, it looked like the stage was about um, two or three times the size of what they normally take out for arenas. Um, and there was no crowd in front of them. They were playing in front of kind of the big pool. So they had all sorts of extra kind of room to do whatever, but. Um, yeah, they were watching from the balconies of their hotel rooms, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that would have been, uh, I, I don't know, to a certain, I mean, and there was also cameras in the lighting trusses behind the band. Um, they, I thought they did a really, really good job. I thought they did a great job with the production and the, the 45 minutes of preliminary was largely kind of like the behind the scenes look at setting all the show up and talking with people that I'm sure will be on the DVD. Um, the only real hiccup that happened during the live run through was that I went in to like refill my coffee and I came back out and like they're the band are descending on the platforms and they're playing just Detroit Rock City. So I guess they actually missed the live opening. That yeah, they, they blew the opening. They were still showing like the infomercial part where they were like showing interviews with some of the fans that were there. And you'd think of anything that they would coordinate and be on top of, it yeah. would be, you know, they've got radio communication. They've got, you know, 50 cameras filming already that they would cut, you know, and they, they showed the, you know, the Kiss movie of them supposedly coming to the stage before. So even if they had missed that, they had all the time in the world to switch over the feed. And then they rebroadcast the show all during the day. You'd think even if they screwed it up the first mm -hmm. time, they could have, they could have fixed it on the rebroadcasts and they didn't. Oh. Um, which was a shame because not only is the KISS opening so iconic uh, with, you know, you wanted the best, you got the best, but 
Um, there's YouTube footage of them doing a dress rehearsal without the makeup and the costumes. And they actually had something that was cool that wasn't part of the end of the road tour where on the video screen that was like a split screen, um, they had the KISS logo. There were periodic flashes uh, where you would just see the silhouette of the band as if they were standing behind the screen. And then the screen parted and they came down on the pods. But um, yeah, that was, that was a, a pretty major fuck up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, you're right, of all the things that you would expect to happen, you, you expect it to cut at the end and not the beginning, but, um, you know, at least, um, you know, I mean, at that point, you'd already, I mean, you know, at least most of the, most of the 11,000 people watching live at that point had already seen the KISS opening many times, so I think people were like, oh, what just happened, and, you know, and, you know, it was, I was like, okay, that's a little weird, that's, that's rare that that would happen, but, you know, I was over it pretty quickly because it was nice to watch them play live. Um, but, uh, let's see. So as far as, um, um, the first really like weird moment was like, I guess during like the first real vocal break, uh, you know, or during, during say, yeah, during like the call and response, Paul's like gesturing to a swimming pool, you know, <laughs> and not a throwing, dude, they were throwing picks out to yeah. nobody. That was, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that until the end, but I was like, that's so awesome. They're doing the pick throwing thing. And then. And there was even that little bit where Gene and Paul pantomimed to each other, like, hey, check that out over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gene, I see that. Which, you know, there's no way they could have seen anybody. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did somebody fall in? Are they drowning? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then, Go get them, Gene. Yeah. And then after that, um, I Love It Loud was just really weird without the response. Like, you know, the, they're doing the call vocals, you know, the, the singers are doing the call vocals, and then there's no response from the crowd. That was. Just, you know, odd, but it's uh, during the hay section, but that was, uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, that's just 2020 in a nutshell right there. Um, probably people yelling it out in the living rooms, you know, but, uh, <laughs> and then I guess, um, and it, you know, they, they did, they kept the, the bit of won't get fooled again in the middle of lick it up, which I happen to love how they do that. They use Yeah, just that's cool. It. Um, and then, um, which by the way, I have to say, lick it up with the lasers bouncing off the hotel and the water yeah. was one of the moments during the concert where I felt that they uh, really approached kind of an epic scale that they, right. you know, have, have very rarely um, come close to before. Yeah, this, I think that was, um, yeah, there was that nice broad shot of them doing that. And uh, yeah, I think that was for me one of the most. Um, I and mean, that was one of my favorite moments of the show. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, I think this was the first ever version of Dr. Love that was introduced with stage pattern about getting a real life vaccine. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. <laughs> I thought that was actually very cool. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. at least, yeah, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and then I think it was uh, Paul was just like looking around at this massive gear, like right after that, before they started 100,000 years. And I think his, uh, or, or uh, was like, I think his line was like, he's looking around, he's like, man, this is more than we expected. And, you know, I mean, Paul likes big lines like that, but you could, you know, this one felt a little less like, it didn't feel like a staged line. Like just as this is all actually going off, that was kind of fun. Um, and then from there, the, um, well, let's talk about, uh, I didn't catch this during the during the drum solo or at any point during the show, but it turned out that Eric Singer had a couple of very nice tributes on his drum kit. I know, uh, Dave, Dave, I know you caught him. 
Uh, did I? No, it wasn't me. Although I, I think what one had to do with Neil Pert, right? Yes. Um, he uh, put <laughs> Neil's like the Rush Starman logo on each bass drum uh, on one side of the logo, and then on the other side of the Kiss logo, there was a little Kobe Bryant tribute because he's a big Lakers fan. And, mm, uh, nice. And I know that uh, uh, definitely on the Rush side, he um, Eric's drum tech is Lorne Wheaton, who was Neil Peart's drum tech from for you know most of his career. And um, so I know that that Eric, uh, everyone from KISS and everyone from the Rush camp signed off on Eric. He went and uh, like asked if it was okay for them to do it. And they were like, yeah, by all means, totally cool. But that was a nice little touch there, which I guess um, somehow with all the pyro, I managed to miss it you know, mm-hmm. when all the cameras were right on it. Um, but that was yeah. fun. Then from there, the first major, the first major deviation from the set, there, there was the, the the big things that the really big changes aside from the massive pyro were through, were a few things that happened because of where they were playing in Dubai, um, where the local laws about what you can and can't do in public are a little more strict. And so, um, the first thing that happened during um, during Cold Jim when Tommy is playing, you know, well, wait, wait. Album. First, first thing that happened was during a hundred thousand years. Was it? Yeah, where they changed the lyric. They changed the lyric to must have been a trip while I was gone. Oh, I, I missed that one. Okay, good call. Yeah. Now, although it's funny because the very last time he says it in the song, I believe Paul said bitch. Oh, okay. So- <laughs> oh, I missed that. I think I was too, mm. like, that, that's one of my favorites. So I was probably just too busy playing air guitar. But, um, <laughs> but yes. Um, but then I guess, the, okay, so that was the first one. But then the next one during Cold Gen, when they get into the, uh, Tommy's playing, you know, Ace's solo. The normal thing is that he shoots like a, a flying saucer out of the sky, basically the equivalent of using like surface-to-air missiles to shoot down UFOs. And they they softened that. They basically had him shoot sparks out of the end of his guitar, and there were explosions from the lighting rig, but you only saw one. And it didn't have. They didn't use the flying saucers. And I'm guessing this was because this is a region that has had enough like real live. Mm. like armed conflict with surface to air missiles that like, this is probably something that not a real good idea to actually do it. You know, it's, it's fun thing when it's like to imagine it like with flying saucers, but if you're in an area of the world where you have neighboring countries where this is happening for real, probably need to dial it back. So um, that was the, that was a change. Um, and then from there, when we get into Gene's segment, um, probably for the first time since a non-makeup show, or a non-club show, Gene did not like spit his blood during the bass solo. Right. And it's worth noting too, Sammy T. Serpent was on stage, but they didn't, he didn't interact with him at all. And he never breathed smoke like he does on the end of the world. Oh, okay. And then, um, and then, yeah, then the last major change was during God of Thunder, which, you know, the bass solo goes right to that. Um, I guess, you know, the line will slowly rob you of your virgin soul was changed from will slowly rob you of your sacred gold. Um, Also, I was born on Olympus became I was born with a fever. Oh, I missed that one too. Okay. Wow. Hmm. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. I wonder why that was changed. Yeah, it Um, does seem kind of odd. (laughs) uh, Probably differing gods. Yeah, I think it's basically like you're, you're, you're not, if you're, if you're mortal, you're not supposed to run around saying you're immortal. 
Yeah, I don't, you know, it's funny because during the hour-long infomercial that introduced this concert, uh, Gene and Paul both go to painstaking lengths to praise Dubai as being the city of the 22nd century. And, yeah. you know, it may be, but certainly, obviously not if you value freedom of artistic expression. Right. And there, uh, yeah, and there was also no profanity the entire night. Um, which is, just, you know, and I mean, it, this isn't like animalized words, hmm. F-bombs, like every vocal break, but, um, you know, they're, they're like during the normal end of the road live set, there's a couple if I remember right, but this was like absolutely zero bad language the entire night. Well, they're trying to do it for everybody, you know what I mean, that, that's watching it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? They assume families at home are watching it. And also, I think, yeah, I guess Dubai has some very serious rules about it. It's interesting because Dubai and Brazil and India, at least, I don't know if this is true, are the only three countries that will take Americans um, if you travel. Um, and that made me because there was this, or maybe it's India, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know that, okay, so I have a friend who met a woman online from India and they actually got married and then COVID hit, and then they didn't even move in together. Like they were trying to work that out or whatever, and then COVID hit. And so they were at least trying to get together for their like anniversary. And um, the only place that they could both go that would allow them to travel there was Dubai. Mm. It's the only country that will, or not Dubai, but United Emirates is the only country that will allow Americans in, or one of the few countries that will allow Americans in uh, since our recent super spikes or whatever. Huh. Um, so I was wondering if that had something to do with uh, KISS choosing Dubai um, in terms of if they had people traveling from around the world. But then, I mean, why not just set up in LA? Like, I'm, I'm inter I was sort of interested why they chose mm. Dubai. Probably because somebody in Dubai wanted to be a concert promoter and had enough money to throw at the band to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money in that country. Just a little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also too is that um you know like to do an outdoor production like that in a controlled setting i'm trying to think where would you pull that off in the united states without yeah you, you're right you probably couldn't because no one would follow any protocols and it'd be right. all right but it's, but it's also where could you do it that was removed and secure um, um well i mean look at it look at it this way i mean what are they doing with the Coliseum in la right now i mean football's happening but you know they could have booked a week there easily you know yeah. it might not have been as impressive as a venue but you know it could have been done but i agree it's probably a money thing where they thought okay let's go there because that's what, you know, where the money is and we've got the space and the time well i think, uh, I think but, chances are it's a promoter made them an offer and uh, yeah it was, and and somebody also had the very good idea hey there's no crowd but we can go nuts with the pyro and we can take care of yeah. local regulations i think chances are i think it was just Somebody, somebody made the right offer and 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 added enough zero, you know zeros to it that they were like, yeah, let's do it. And you know, and I, in terms of the setting too, I think you know with the, the, the you know with the, the hotels being like you know sort of the audience. I mean, that definitely worked for that situation. But also too, it's funny to think that you can have all these regulations about what you can say or what you can't say or you can't cuss, or you can cuss, but you can blow the shit out of the place with pyro, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> fireworks pyro yeah you know, just blow everything up you want to but you know just don't say this and don't say that and we'll be okay with it you know yeah, interesting yes yeah. well it just uh it all it, it all worked out in the end i guess and then uh, mm -hmm. and then i guess you know, like you know they 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 stuck to the you know the uh you know the the the, the 
end of the road set, but then there was that nice little extra two songs in the encore of Strutter and Do You Love Me. Um, well, which... well, they added Parasite too. That was not oh, a yes, Parasite, yes. part of the, uh, okay. end of the end of the road set list. So that that was good. And they played it well. That was one yeah. of the highlights, I think. You could tell that was had been rehearsed. Right. Yes. Um, sorry. Yeah. Wasn't Parasite added at some point on End of the Road? I thought it was. Was it? Okay, you guys I could be right. I thought it was. You could be right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they definitely, so was Do You Love Me, part of the, the End of the Road. Yeah, set. I, Strutter was the one that was, I, I think, hadn't turned up yet on tour. That was kind of the... Yeah, I mean, I'll say the, the average set list that they would play would be 20 songs, and they played 22. So however you want to think of it, they played a couple extra songs. Right. Um, it's notable too, Love Gun, I thought was another moment where the, the, the scale of the show really was jaw-droppingly impressive. When he goes out onto the little island in the middle yeah. of the man-made lake, and by the time he's out there, <laughs> the entire lake is covered in dry ice and they've got colored lights underneath the lake. You know, I was, mm. that was, I thought, pretty, pretty jaw-droppingly amazing. Yeah, that was, that, that was, uh... That, that was a nice touch. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, just, I, I wonder, I'm not sure exactly how long it is when Paul normally flies from point A to point B in an arena show, but this looked like it was um, probably, I don't, it probably, it looked like it was a little longer. So um, I don't know what the-, what the Yeah, it's usually for almost like a whole verse section, you know, that he's flying. The other thing, I think they had Strutter and Do You Love Me basically in their back pocket in the event they needed it because they'd run out of, they'd gotten through the set before midnight came. And then, but yeah. I, they needed something to yeah. bridge the gap before the uh, Guinness Book of Records came out. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, talking about Strutter, I think that was literally like a last minute addition on stage, like somebody whispering in their ear and their monitor saying, you guys are running a little fast. You need one more song. Yeah. Um, and I think as much as people have complained about, oh, Paul is singing with backing tracks and all this kind of stuff. And it's a combination of his real voice and pre-recorded voices. That was the one song of the night, I think, that was all him. And you can hear as soon as he gets up to the high notes on that song, his voice got a lot raspier. He sounded okay as long as he mm. was in the mid-range, but you know, the high notes, you could hear the, hear the damage in his voice. His voice was blown. That was one of the first things I noticed. His voice was not as strong as I've ever heard it. You know what I mean? When he's talking, at least even to the audience. And I don't know if that's a function of age or just it's been so long since I've seen them live, but he just did, didn't sound, you know what I mean? Well, he's had a couple of vocal surgeries and issues yeah. for ongoing for a few years now. Yeah. You know, to, to his credit, though, too, I mean, he, he's not avoiding the issue. If people ask him about it, I think people said, you know, I, you know, why don't you sing like you like you sang on you know, Kiss Alive? And he says, well, you know, this is the way I sing now. And if you want to hear like I sang on Kiss Alive, then listen to Kiss Alive. You know, it, it's a different thing. It's a different time. I'm at a different age. And, and that's the way it is. Yeah. You know, whether or not that's something that, you know, that you know, we take away from the show thinking, you know, was it a great show? And, you know, for today's standards, it's probably a great show. But in terms of yesterday's standards, you know, or, you know, 30 years ago standards, you know, debatable. 
but you know, I, I agree, John, you know, his voice, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of his voice and, you know, I want to see you know, all the power that you expect from Paul Stanley. And, you know, I guess, you know, when you compare it to other, you know, artists, you know, of that era, you know, whether, you know, I won't name names, but, you know, you go see them now and it's like, oh, okay. All right. They're singing a little differently now. And, and that's just the way it is. You know, oh, thank God they're still out there doing like it. It and, matters. Yeah. Well, and and the other thing is, you know, the the way that he's handling it, it is him singing against something pre-recorded of him singing. Guys like Ozzy Osbourne and Steven Tyler have other guys live backstage singing along with them, hitting the high notes, which is arguably more dishonest than what Paul's doing. Well, well no, hold on. Aerosmith has that guy, that guy's visible. You can see him. Um um, well, he, he yeah. might be visible now. He hasn't been visible the whole time because when they started doing it, uh, Joe Perry, as, as kind of a joke, would sometimes go up to the microphone and make like he was hitting those high notes and the guy would be watching him and he would stop singing and it would piss Joe Perry off. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. I, th I, know, I guess maybe now they do. And I think Ozzy had that guy, Ozzy had his guy hidden in a vocal booth for a long time. Yeah, back, yeah it was like now he's on stage now, even there, yeah. Now he's in the wings and they acknowledge him. So, but, uh, but you know, also too, uh, you know, with Ozzy, I think Dave, you'd mentioned previously that you know, Ozzy's voice is almost like mixed so heavily with effects and compression and chorusing. It, it sounds like, you know, syrup. It's like, it doesn't even sound like a real voice, even though that may be him singing. It's so overly processed. And I think it's been that way since probably 81, 82, to be honest, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that they do to his voice live. Yeah, for I mean, sure. look, at, not that it's about Black Sabbath or Ozzy, but you know, look at the footage from Live Aid '85 with you know Black Sabbath. I mean, it, he comes out singing, it's like, whoa, this he sounds way different from anybody else that was singing on, on that bill, you know? Yeah, whatever. He, it's a different kind of vocal technique. And with Paul, he's such a phenomenally great singer that you know, when you when you go to see him, you want to be blown away, um, mm -hmm. and that's the ex expectation, um, you know. But it's a different ballgame now, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. 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 I think it's just, um, you know, he's, um, you know, he's, he's going to be 69, I think this, this mm -hmm. month, or if he is already 69 and, you know, he sings in a much higher register and it just, um, you know, that's father time just catching up with you and he's fighting it as, as best he can. Um, but, you know, like, I don't mind, like, you know, there, there have been there have been nights when you know, and you'll see them online where he just his voice just blows out, and it's really really hard to watch or listen to. But a little bit of raspiness, like that, just makes it human. I'm fine with that. Yeah, ironically, Gene sounds pretty much just as good as ever because he was mm -hmm. never really singing. He never was trying to put that amount of power behind his voice. Mm -hmm. You know, but he also um, sings in his own register too. He doesn't go up an octave or two. Yeah, yeah, that makes a difference as the decades add up right yeah um so then as you mentioned the guinness book of world records yeah. guy comes out and god damn was that a momentum killer for the show where oh my god yeah he's just like talking about like you know first band to wear you know the most shoelaces on a saturday night and it's just like oh my god it was so trivial and and then you could see paul looking at the time it's like 10 seconds till midnight and it's oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was, i thought the whole thing was weird that they announced like i i'm actually thinking they probably shouldn't even have brought that guy out there at all just because they were hoping that they were going to have been able to announce that they'd broken three world records and they're like okay well we're not sure about two of them, but we're yeah. Not sure about them anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah i know yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that later. Yeah, right. Yeah, that yes. one, or they should have cut it to the one record they did break. Um, yeah. And there could be other, and the, and there could be others. We'll tell you later, you know. But I thought the the, well, we're trying for this, but we don't know yet. And we're trying for this, and we don't know yet. But they did break this one, and you know, it just that one. I think that was the other one where, I'm just odd that that something that should have been that tightly scripted kind of got like got out of you know it was a definite moment. puppet show with spinal tap moment where yeah, you're, you know. <laughs> the, the, the situation sort of got away from everybody and i think that if they could have done it over they would have cut it down to the one record that they did break and then said like there could be others but this is the one we know about for sure and well you know think, think about this though too i mean how many times in in their history have they done a real uh, you know online or you know on tv live performance like direct you know live to you know to, to the world very few. I mean, you know, there are things like, you know, End Lies Live Uncensored that was filmed ahead of time. And even Paul owned up to it, I think, um, when they were um, deciding to play Strutter. I think he said, you know, this is live and, you know, sometimes, you know, we make mistakes or we're, you know, we need to make adjustments because I think there was an issue with, it was suggested that they play Strutter to, you know, to, to you know, stretch out the set. And I guess Eric went back to, you know, the drum kit and had to change from platform shoes to, you know, drumming shoes. Right. And Paul's like, we're going to do Strutter. And there was like an eerie silence. I think Paul said, Eric, and Eric's like, hold on. <laughs> I think Paul said, uh, yeah. what's going on? Eric said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm changing my shoes. And Paul's like, well, of course you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there, there are those hiccups in the show and, you know, good that they don't. Um, that was funny. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, you, there wasn't a, a, you know, a dialogue where, where it was negative. You could tell it was like, okay, you know, can we try to be as professional as we can? You know, and, and Paul sort of tried to rise above it, but he didn't ignore the fact that there were going to be hiccups in the show. Uh, which which I admire, and also to you know to your point, Dave, about them adding Strutter, you know, when you have a you know a voice like Paul's, and you know it is what it is, for them to just throw another song into the set, and for him to just dive in and do it, you know, kudos to him for doing that, you know. Sure, absolutely. I mean, overall, my final thought about the show is, for all you know, the occasional hiccups and the weirdness of the lyric censorship, I felt like I more than got my money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a blast. Yeah, I liked watching. It was interesting. It's the first time I've ever uh, seen Kiss with my wife. Uh, she is she is a an avowed um, like metalhead, but was not a Kiss fan uh, growing up, and was you know like the glam metal of the '80s and that kind of stuff. But um, it was interesting, sort of introducing her to it for the first time and not really realizing that she had no, she didn't have much of a background about it. You know, she knew the, the hits, you know, but really did not know. So there was a lot of times me explaining things to her that were sort of like, yeah, and that's the demon and that's the cat man. And she's like, they have nicknames? They have nicknames. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, they they play characters and, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, this song is written by Brian Adams, which I think is really funny. Brian Adams wrote this, you know. So. <laughs> That kind of stuff. So it was it was actually very interesting to sort of watch it uh, with my wife. I don't really, you know what I mean? When I listen to the albums to sort of review them, I don't listen. I'll listen to them with my my kids, but not really with her, you know, very much. So it's it was kind of interesting, sort of a first time sort of introducing it to her. So that's what it that's what it did for me. Although interestingly enough, I didn't I figured they had rehearsed Strutter and I thought they were just trying to appear badass. Um, no, I don't think so. Me, but 
Um, but then again, it wasn't like they were you're destroying like a, you know uh, you know an album track that has never been rehearsed. I mean, no, I mean they've played the song enough; they ought to be able to pull it out of the hat at this point. Right? Yeah, exactly. Play it in their sleep at this point. Yeah. Yeah. This this isn't room service, you know. Right. Right. This isn't. Could have busted out given they were playing at a hotel, but you know whatever. Right. Baby driver. I mean, the only song that that you know, and I I all for Kiss playing songs from the last couple of albums, but you know there are so many better songs on Sonic Boom and Monster than Say Yeah. I just I just man, it's like the last song I want to hear from those albums. I wish that they would you know substitute a different new song. Oh, I'd vote for Shout Mercy. Sure. Yeah. That's live. That is live at Leeds like backing track with Paul Stanley vocals. <laughs> or, or Freak is a great song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Um, but yeah. That's yeah, I didn't, I'll be, I didn't, I didn't recognize those songs. I have not, I guess I'm not a true fan and should probably hand in my podcast membership, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I've maybe listened to those albums once. You know what I mean? I plan to sort of listen to them when um, we get to them. Um, but I don't think I've honestly listened to anything beyond Psycho Circus. So they're both they're both worth they're both worth a listen. Um, yeah, each, sure. of have, each of them have several tracks that um, I like enough that they're in my workout playlists, and that's the song. Really? Okay. All right. So, yeah, I actually think Monster's the best thing they've done since Look It Up. Ooh. No kidding. Yeah. Right. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> when do we get so, to that one? I'm excited now. Yeah. I, I've got just a, a few uh, just final points that, you know, the, the, sort of my takeaways from the show. Um, you know, granted, they are the ages that they are, but I don't think they really hit their stride until they started playing songs like Psycho Circus, like a mid, about midway during the set. You know, I think obviously there were the missteps that were noted. Uh, one of those particularly would have been, you know, sort of the lack of pyro with, you know, the opening of, of Detroit Rock City. I thought that that should have been bigger than it was. If, you know, if you're going to you get a start off big and, you know, do the thing in the middle and then end big, and then the, 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 you know, the intro could have been a little, a little better uh, in that regard. But I thought once they got to songs like Psycho Circus and Love Gun and Black Diamond, then they, they, they seemed to be a little more comfortable with what they were doing. And the mm-hmm. only reason I say that is I remember seeing the uh, first night of the 96 reunion tour at uh, Tiger Stadium in Detroit. And that was, you know, the first time those four guys had played live in front of, you know, you know the four original guys had played live in front of an audience that big. And I remember looking, you know, at Paul, like I wasn't, first row and they were all visibly on another level they were like okay we're doing this we're not making eye contact and we're just gonna get through this you could tell that they were just trying to get you know rooted in play and i think i saw that you know in, in some situations with this show uh but it's understandable because they haven't played a show in you know how many how many yeah, months i mean it takes it's going to take three or four nights to get your road legs back and you know, yeah uh, yeah for sure um but also too you know with with the set list i mean i and this isn't, you know, being negative. I mean, I, I've played, you know, one of the early Kiss tribute shows that I played. Um, a guy came up to me after the show and said, "Hey, you know, the great show. You know, the, you, know you play uh, out of the whole night. You made three mistakes. And one of those mistakes was your toggle switch wasn't down on the guitar at the beginning of Rock City." It's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, so I, I've heard it. Yeah. I've heard it. But you know, for me, as a fan personally, um, looking at the set list, you know, I, I personally think that if you're going to do a song like "Say Yeah," you've got such catalog such repertoire that you could pull something else, you know, give me like a firehouse or give me something that, you know, I, I don't know if, 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 if I was in that band and I'd probably get, you know, shot down in a second with this idea, but I would say maybe we should focus on something from the catalog that people are going to react to. Why give a song to the audience 
that half of them are going to know that. I mean, the audience should have to question what that song is, in my opinion. You know, if you're going to have half the people not knowing what that song is, and it's the end of the road tour, then, you know, maybe you need to reevaluate that. That's just my opinion. But on the same token, and this is the last point I got to make, other than in terms of, you know, the, the things that I would say are areas for improvement, you know, I've been to shows too where, you know, people are singing along to the songs and somebody will go to the you know, audience member and say, hey, listen, I came here to see Paul sing the song. I don't want to hear you, audience member, singing the song. You know, I don't necessarily need to see Kiss playing a Who cover song. When you've got, again, such catalogs of repertoire. Give me another song, you know, at, make, make it a medley. Give me something that, you know, that is going to make me go home and say that was absolutely, without question, the best Kiss show I've ever seen. Oh, that's interesting. I saw, I saw Bob Mould from Who's Do play once, and I remember him from the stage saying, please don't sing along. It throws ah, okay. He yeah. literally said to the audience, don't, he says, I really, really, I mean, he wasn't a jerk about it. He was like, I really, really appreciate it, but you guys singing along completely throws me off. Oh, it's an acoustic show. I'm actually, yeah. like, that can ruin a show if you have like a drunk sing-along person behind you. Yeah. Um, Bruce yeah. Springsteen, when he does his solo acoustic shows, he has like a ritual where he does where he says, okay, he comes out at the beginning uh, before he plays the first song and says, all right, everybody take your phone out and hold it up. So you have this big group, you know, the whole place lights up and he says, okay, everybody take a photo, take it now. All right. And then everyone does that and says, okay, now everybody turn the phones off and put them in your pocket. You got to go out and check with the sitter, like, you know, like walk out into the hall, but I don't want to see, like those phones can't be out for the rest of the show. Uh, secondly, unless I ask you to, please don't sing along. And because um, if you're going to see like a solo acoustic act and you've got the guy that drinks eight Budweiser's behind you um, singing along, like to the point where you can't enjoy it. Oh yeah, that just makes you, yeah, that, makes, that, that can make you pretty stabby. To, yeah. your, to your point, Mike, about, you know, don't play any songs that they don't know. I would argue if you are going to play a song that everybody doesn't mm -hmm. know, then that song better be so good and blow people away to such an extent that even though the people don't know it, that nobody's questioning why you chose to play it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. The question is, is why would they choose? So how well did those albums sell? You know what I mean? Like how much, how much is that going to affect who... Well, I think part of it is they want to play at least one new song from the new current. Line. Yeah, they want to play. I mean, that's the. I think that's the only Tommy era song in the whole set. So I. Think, uh, I, I get it. Okay. All right. The, the, the intent behind it, it being there is that that era is represented, and you know those two records are represented. I got a show. Yes, that totally makes sense. Never it just mind. makes. It's just. It just like. Um, I just, like. I, it seems to be there's general agreement that we would all probably that say yeah would not be anyone here's at least first choice, but it looks to be Paul Stanley's favorite, and he's kind of the boss, so that's yeah, <laughs> that's why yeah. it's there. I, yeah. I, I know. Then again, with you with venues, it, it, it all comes down to dollars and you know, in merchandise and you know, um, concession sales. I mean, I guess every set needs a break where everybody runs to the restroom and gets some more food or you know, drinks, and <laughs> that might happen to be the song that you know that that occurs. You know, so be it. But either way, you know, I just got to say that. You, they've got such a great catalog of, of classic songs that would be, you know, songs that would, you know, nail the audience. You know, is is that something that really needs to be added to the set? You know, that's that's their call. Uh, but in terms of, you know, positive things, I thought that, um, you know, they're obviously the ultimate showman and, um, you know, Tommy as, as a guitar player, uh, in terms of his tone and what he, his approach was to his, you know, so to speak, you know, guitar solo, I thought was quite impressive. I, I, you know, I love the fact that he was, he's, a, he's kind of like playing his own licks and new licks that were, you know, key to him. And you could tell that he was having fun with it and putting his own stamp on it, which I really think, you know, is something that, you know, takes a lot of, 
uh, courage to do when, when you're filling, you know, the shoes of, you know, X amount of guitar players that have been in KISS. So, um, you know, hats off to Tommy for, you know, for his playing. And, and I, you know, there are a few licks that he played that for me as a guitar player, I thought, okay, I want to learn those licks, mm. you know, and um, I think you know, I, I, that, that, that I enjoyed about the show. And I like the, the new guitar he's using with the Flying V with the, the explosions. You can tell that, you know, there's a lot of thought and planning that goes into his approach, you know, to his stage persona and uh, his guitar playing and, and the, you know, the guitars and the effects that he's using. So uh, good to see that they're, you know, obviously they've got, you know, a high standard that they're trying to follow and they're maintaining that. Yeah. In fact, it's funny you mentioned, like, I think the entire band debuted new instruments that are available yeah. to the public, but had never been played before. So that was kind of a nice treat. Um, yeah. And then Eric, Eric Singer doing the drum solo where he sort of took a page from Glenn from Gay CDC, where he's wiping himself off very yeah. uh, <laughs> while he's still playing. That was, that was a nice bit of humor. Yeah. That was, um, I, I, in, in complete agreement with what Mike said about Tommy, um, I'm 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 a big Tommy Thayer fan. So yeah, um, you said it you said it all perfectly. So no need for me to repeat it. What's the age difference between Tommy and Eric versus Gene and Paul? Are they about ten years? Probably ten years, probably. Okay. Right. Yeah, and Gene, we should mention too. Looks like he lost about thirty pounds oh, or more. Yeah, he did. Yes, he looks good. Um, he, he, I mean, I don't think he'd been that leaned out since Alive Worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I don't know if we could talk about this, but, you know, Dave, you and I were at the, uh, the Gene Simmons Vault experience, you know, sort of, you know, just working behind the scenes. And I remember you and I standing next to him and I swear to God, his thigh was as big as my waist. You know, <laughs> they, they are big guys, you know, and that, that, that's big in terms of stature and their build, you know, I mean, that's. You know, then throw on some platform shoes and a 90-pound costume. No wonder they're superheroes, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, more, uh, okay, so points that my wife brought up. Are the sure. costumes made of metal or plastic? Is the Gene Simmons costume that he has all the breastplate in, is that some sort of, like, costume foam or latex? What is that? I bet you it could be carbon fiber, which is okay. like Yeah, or if it's metal, it's, like, you know, some kind of aluminum sort of lightweight kind of, you know. Yeah, it's not like real live chain mail or whatever. No. Um, yeah, I mean, if you compare that to, you know, the, the Alive 2 costumes where Gene had a lot of, you know, metal studs, I mean, that could add some weight. But I remember thinking the Destroyer costumes, particularly Gene's, it looked like it would have been metal. You know, but it's probably plastic, but it was just done so well artistically that it definitely appeared as like a metal breastplate, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah, I know the, um, I know the, 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 like, some of the costumes were heavier than others, and some of them, depending on how they were designed, may have also, like, retained sweat and got heavier over, to, over the space of the show. Um, but I know the Dynasty tour, one of the uh, Jean's makeup or the, the wardrobe person, Jean did something really obnoxious to her during, like, the day one afternoon. So as her revenge, um, she went out and bought a bunch of lead fishing weights, uh, that matched the tone of the the, the uh, dynasty boots. She glued like a couple of pounds of lead fishing weights to each boot, and so like they were not like you couldn't tell that they were there. And like Jean came off after this after that show and was like, I can't figure it out. I'm just exhausted, man. What's going on? <laughs> mm -hmm. But aside from but I mean I think Jean's show Jean's gear probably weighs 35 40 pounds. It's like probably like a pro hockey goalie. Um, yeah. yeah, and then her other um, point was the, how effeminate Paul Stanley was, which I thought was, you know what I mean? We all sort of talk about that, but 
I mean, at this point in this podcast, I don't even really think about it anymore. But yeah, he does sort of have, and I know that that was part of their sort of drive to sort of push him as like a Mick Jagger or David Bowie type, you know, a feminine uh, male or whatever. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting. How much do you think that played into their popularity? Do you think people like noticed that anymore? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sort of like, I mean, do you guys see that or am I just, you know? No, I mean, Paul Paul wore dresses and blouses in the 70s. It was just, I think that's just part of Paul's, that's just part of Paul's who he is. And it developed into the, you know, and just that part of him developed and that melded into the star child persona. That's always, right, yeah. that's always been there. Yeah, he's always been fairly androgynous. They used to refer to him within the band and the management as the he, she, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, it's funny because I don't really, I mean, I've seen so much of Kiss now that I've never really doubted, you know, I mean, you know what no, I mean? But, it's just Paul Stanley now, you know, but it's it's interesting to see it from the outside. But John, interesting to, you know, to sort of have that perspective from a, a today point of, point of view, you know, I could see that in the 70s or the 80s, but, you know, the fact that that's still sort of shining through at this point is somewhat surprising to me, you know, I, I don't really see it as much as I did in the past, but, you know, well, that's because I think we're just used to it. We're just like, that's Paul Stanley. Probably. You know I mean? Yeah. And so it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really ring true to us anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, he is kind of, you know, a feminine. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, yeah. I could care less, but it's just interesting that it's, that is so much a part of his persona that even at the age of 69, he is still, you know, is he vamping that up or is he, was he always like that, blah, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, th then again, with the exception of the fact that he's got, an, you know, basically no shirt on and, and one of the hairiest chests in the world. So there's really not a whole lot of things that are, you know, feminine about that, but nonetheless. No. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, is it a, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to say that he's trying to, is it a stage persona? Is it, you know, I mean, I've seen this, you know, you follow him on Instagram, he's out, you know, bike riding and, you know, doing all these sort of masculine, you know, masculine things to some degree, mm -hmm. which is, you know, Again, twenty. It's twenty twenty. So I mean, what's what's the different? What's an actual masculine thing, or what's a feminine thing at this point? Um, it doesn't really matter. But it's I don't know. It's like it's, how it's much showbiz. I mean, it's showbiz. You know, you compare it to Neil Diamond or Barry Manilow or whoever. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's showbiz, and it, it's something that might be missing from today's music. You know, in terms of today's artists, and it's something mm -hmm. that people can learn from in terms of stage presentation, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He's definitely very comfortable with his feminine side, for sure. Yeah, but he's Paul Stanley. He's got yeah. nothing to prove. <laughs> All, you know, yeah. But, but overall, um, I think o overall, though, um, I was I had a really good time watching the show. Um, I think it was um, it was it was something nice to wake up to on New Year's Eve. It was just you know the timing of it was weird because it was halfway around the world. But for me, it was a nice kind of like fix while we wait for live music to come back and certainly a nice kind of like um something to kind of like bridge the gap between like the two shows and the, the two kiss shows in los angeles at the beginning of end of the road and what whenever that last final show happens in new york whenever that is i'm pretty sure I'll so they're still touring that. okay so this isn't the end of the end of the end no 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 they still have another year and a half of dates oh i thought this was like it i thought they were like we're done no this is their oh, official. No, they're just, I mean, like, they have another year and a half of end of the road shows that are just, that basically have been postponed, but are just going to get. Because of COVID. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. They're not even, they're not even halfway through the tour. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. And I can see them extending into 2023 at this point, just because it's so close to the 50th anniversary. Oh, uh, yeah. That is a good point. Good point. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. True. Interesting. Hmm. All right. Well, this is supposed to be a short episode, so we should probably call it. We'll be back in a couple days with a close-up look at Kiss Asylum. <laughs>